Storm. I'm Peter. And I'm Felice. Welcome to our travel podcast. We're specialist travel writers and we've spent half a lifetime exploring every corner of the world. So we want to share with you some of our extraordinary experiences and the amazing people we've met along the way. I was lying in her bed and she was telling me all about her love affair with Elvis. She was being held down by five bare-breasted ladies who wouldn't release her until I'd bought them a beer. This week we're down on a cider farm in rural Somerset in the southwest of England. It's the home of top fashion photographer and worldwide adventurer Matilda Temperley. Tilly started out as a scientist in Africa before switching careers. Action Pack's Louise Hall began by asking her how she became a photographer. I didn't go in normal route into photography. I used to work in disease control and I was working on the Ugandan-Sudanese border and I'd got to a stage where I thought it wasn't for me. I didn't want to do this for life. And, and I was wondering what it really was that I did want to do. And I was racking my brains and I was thinking, what, what if I enjoyed in life? Okay, this is not going to be my life. What is it that I can do? And I, I couldn't really remember what my ambitions were when I was young. When I was really young, I wanted to be a photographer and a trapeze artist. And so it was a time when I was realising the sort of power of photography to tell stories. So I moved back to London not long after and called myself a photographer. I knew nothing and started learning the trapeze. So it was a, a roundabout route and everybody I was working with at the time was completely and utterly horrified. <laughs> I learned the trapeze and I loved it. I've got a trapeze here in my kitchen. I did my second performance. I was too old when I started really, but I still, I love hanging on it, stretching. It's like a meditation. But in my second performance in front of 450 people, I had tonsillitis and my boyfriend at the time, who I'd persuaded to become a trapeze artist too, dropped me and I managed to break quite a few ribs in my back. And that was the end of that. But one of my absolute best friends in the world as a trapeze artist she's called Catherine Arnold and all her hashtags is just Catherine Arnold and so I live vicariously through her now. What was your first commission? My first commission was a really amazingly lucky commission actually and it was combining photography and the circus two great passions of mine. I think everyone always thinks they want to run away with the circus and that feeling never has quite left me until this very day, in fact. And I was talking to someone about a project I was doing in Uganda at the time. And in a roundabout way, they offered me an exhibition on contemporary British circus for the Roundhouse in London, which is a, a big arts venue. And so I got this grant to travel all around the UK looking at contemporary British circus. And actually, really, it was the most incredible commission. And it's what helped me to teach myself to be a photographer. And then there's your dancing series. The dancing series was right at the beginning when I was starting out as a photographer. Every time I had a shoot, I would invite people into the studio, people from all walks of life, sumo wrestlers and all sorts of very intriguing circus artists. And dancers was part of that. And having dancers in the studio, I think, has been the biggest privilege of my career as a photographer. You have these most wonderful performers come and do their performance just for you. We did have one day when I had some dancers, they were dancing in the opera house and were all naked, painted as zebras and all the fire alarms went. And so then you had 
all of these girls out on the street in London on a really rough place, completely naked, dressed as zebras with uh, little towels around themselves. That was a memorable day. Yeah, dancing is um, a real joy to photograph. And haven't you photographed a lion tamer? Thomas Chipperfield, eighth generation lion tamer, the last of his kind in the UK. Now lions in the circus, uh, outlawed in the UK, but he has been fighting to carry on with his lions. I first photographed him for my first commission and then I went back and photographed him about seven years later. I phoned him up and I said, hey Thomas, where are you and can I come and photograph you? And it was New Year's Day and he said, I'm in Aberdeenshire and it's snowing and it was... That was 14 hour drive away. So I said, I'll be there tomorrow. And I jumped in my car and I went up and it was bleak and his lions were in the snow. And I took, I think some of my favorite pictures ever were of Thomas and his lions. Uh, They didn't like me very much. If you ever turned your back on them, they'd sort of leap from nowhere. And it was just a really interesting thing because it was such an interesting story being the last of last in the line and so yeah I followed his career avidly. And how many cameras do you own? I don't know I think maybe seven or eight but I could probably only find a couple in my house because I keep lending them to people and um, I'm not actually sure where most of them are. (laughs) If it's just personal work I shoot quite a lot on a little Leica Q which is just a fixed lens and it's just can always be round your neck and I treat it really badly. And then if I was to do a, a studio job, I'd do it on a, a Canon. Who has most inspired you? Now, the most inspiration in the photography world is an interesting one because when I started out as a photographer, I knew no one. And then I came to love all the greats, the really obvious ones, the Avedon and the and the Sarah Moon and the Salgado. But what I realized is actually it was the subjects I was interested. So I was, I've always been inspired through the subjects. So photography for me has been a way to have adventures wherever you are because it opens doors. It's led to all my best adventures in life. People come and visit you and and you delve into people's life stories. And I, I miss the early days where I was just so nosy about everything. What's the maddest thing you've done for work? Uh, the maddest thing? I think I've had loads of mad adventures. I found myself in a documentary in Vegas completely randomly interviewing in bed. An amazing, she was in her 80s at the time, burlesque artist called Tempest Storm, who was a one-time girlfriend of Elvis. So I was lying in her bed and she was telling me all about her love affair with Elvis. And I used to get flown all over the place to photograph such amazing, mad situations. And haven't you been a stunt woman yourself? I have done some stunt myself. I, I actually did a shoot a couple of years ago in Andalusia and it was amazing. It was with legendary motorbike adventures, but we would, did it as a fashion shoot and no one could ride the motorbikes. I always used to ride motorbikes when I was young. So they dressed me up and I'm really short. I'm five foot four and, and the model was six foot and I wasn't the best stunt woman because I did drop the bike on one of the, one of the gritty roads. But yeah, lots of bits and pieces like that. Your first book, Under the Surface, illustrates the devastating Somerset floods around your home in the winter of 2013-14. Surrounding 16th century houses, churches and farmland remain partially submerged for two months. The book won the Royal Geographical Society's Environmental Photographer of the Year Award. What was the story behind it? We live on what's known as the Somerset Levels and there's a floodplain but 
all the villages around here, they're built on the little islands. And in the winter of 2013, I got a call from my mum and I was actually in a studio full of ladyboys in Thailand. And she said, you've got to come home and photograph these floods. And I said, well, it floods every year. Of course, I'm not coming home to photograph it. And she said, you really must. It's something we've never seen before. And I dutifully came home and where I am now was completely underwater. And my grandfather's house, which is in the village, was completely underwater. He was evacuated at the age of 99 on New Year's Day. And his house was under three foot of water for two months. And everybody in the village was horrified because actually, although there has been historical floods in the houses, there hadn't been a proper flood since 1928. At the time, there hadn't been a huge rainfall. It was just a mismanagement of the rivers. And it was a a simple thing. All the data showed it. And there was a big cover up. And so the community were fighting and saying, you know, this isn't our lot. What you've done is you've blocked our river. And there was lots of misinformation. And so I started going around in my neoprene chess waders, which I have a, a slight fetish about ever since, and finding everyone's stories There was such community spirit. It was like a blitz spirit. And it was really my coming back to Somerset moment. What caused the rivers to flood? We live on a river, the River Parrot. It's been a man-made river system for almost two millennia. So the river's always been dug. And over the past 20 years, they've let it silt up. So there's been no maintenance that's been done. And downstream it's essentially become a plug. So when the river fills, it can't empty like it has been designed to empty. You took some remarkable photographs and then you ran into an unexpected financial problem over the book when it was just about to come out. I paid the printer. I had pre-sold all the, well, lots of books and I got a phone call from someone and they said, have you seen the local news? The printer has gone into administration. And they wouldn't answer their phone. They wouldn't answer their phone. They wouldn't answer the phone. And when I finally spoke to them, they said, tough luck. We've consulted our lawyers. You're just a casualty of administration. I said, well, hold on a second. You're personally liable. And they said, said, um, they just said tough luck. They, They banked the money after they'd gone into administration. So I took some volunteers from my folks farm and we went and chained ourselves across the entrance. And they were so embarrassed by it that, I got my money back at, by the end of the day. That's great. And the book was printed. I, it sold out. But even better was that it ended up getting printed in Italy because from the back of all of that press, there was obviously nothing else happening that day. Loads of printers got in touch with me and people were really, really helpful. And so in the end, it was a, a much nicer story. You've spent many years photographing the semi-nomadic people in the Omo River region of southwest Ethiopia. There's a number of different ethnic groups down there, and it's probably around half a million people are directly impacted by the, these sort of rapid changes down there. And there's lots of there's sort of multifaceted changes. When I first started going there, it took me five days to get down there. Now you can drive; the roads are all tarmacked within a day a day's long drive. And so they've had huge problems. The national parks have been turned into multinational farms. The river flow has been stopped. There's a huge influx of tourism, which is not very culturally sensitive tourism. So you've got a huge range of peoples that are having their livelihoods 
forcibly removed from them their culture is being squashed and it's a mis- it's been a miserable time for them and i was hoping that there would be some light at the end of the tunnel but actually it's such an incredible place and it has been sort of decimated by this globalization how did you find traveling in ethiopia Travelling in Ethiopia was brilliant and totally different at the very beginning. When I first went down there, I have a great friend who's from there and we would get the car stuck and we'd be digging in the mud for days and camping anywhere and we'd sometimes be turned away because it was too dangerous. I took my mum there a few times and once I couldn't find her and she was being held down by five bare-breasted ladies who wouldn't release her until I'd bought them a beer. Yeah, there was lots and lots of adventures and we'd just wild camp and I loved it. Have you been frightened on location? I've definitely been frightened loads of times. Camping is always a bit uncertain and I had such naivety when I started out mostly the frightening things were actually just good stories at the end of it many breakdowns in the omo there was always guns everywhere i once turned up in a village and they said you better not stay here because we're having a bit of a war with the neighbors and there was 15 people killed last night just as it was getting to dusk that was an uncomfortable evening from the personal situations dangerous situations or perceived dangerous situations of which there were many but maybe I'm a scaredy cat there was one particular day with a young model it was her first ever shoot we were just doing a test shoot to see if she was comfortable and we were in a field with a tame red deer and she was sitting there in a dress looking beautiful and this huge stag came up behind her and started pouring her and jumping on her chest and I felt never ever felt so utterly irresponsible actually she was fine it was um quite a moment and who's your favorite traveling companion my favorite traveling companion ever is my mother especially in Ethiopia because one she's obsessed by mud houses that she builds them herself and because it really changes their attitude when you're with someone that's older she's got really long gray hair down to her waist and people always want to touch her hair and she brings a very calm attitude to it what's been your physically most challenging commission my physically most challenging i suppose i've got crohn's disease and my physically most challenging jobs have ironically just been in london in the studio when i've been ill and probably working too hard there's been some serious hot days in the desert. I did a 24-hour shoot in Vegas one day. That was a bit challenging. I did four shoots in one day from Zumanity, the Cirque du Soleil, to a desert shoot with an old burlesque dancer, to an overnight shoot in a pawn shop, a fashion shoot in a pawn shop. I remember feeling pretty broken at that moment. In complete contrast, your latest book is about American burlesque dancers. This was a really funny book because this is an academic book by Oxford University Press and it's written by Caitlin Regeer, who is an incredible academic and it is on Legends of the American Burlesque. So we were photographing all these elderly dancers who were getting on stage still in their Zimmer frames and stripping and wiggling their nipple tassels around. I just felt they were 
so incredibly inspiring. And then on the flip side of that, it was photographing this sort of neo-burlesque movement who hold these older ladies up as icons, but they are completely different from one another. So their inspirations, I suppose, and their political affiliations couldn't be more different. This sort of liberal neo-burlesque movement to these quite elderly ladies who say things like they strip because they want to and we strip because we had to. So actually the book is, the writing in the book is a really wonderful snapshot of a very unusual movement. Is that how you got into photographing the circus? No, this was, I was photographing the circus in Vegas. For some reason, a magazine company approached me once and I realised magazines in the UK don't pay, but in America they really do. And they'd fly me over and I would photograph amazing things and just so happened to meet a girl, Caitlin, who was writing her PhD thesis on the this League of Exotic Dancers and Oxford University Press commissioned it amazingly. And there's a crazy photo of you standing next to, is it a dancer towering over you? I know what you mean. This was a really strange one. I never, I'm not sure how to phrase it politically correctly these days, but there was a bar in Hollywood that I was flown to one day and it was a bar where there was uh, vertically challenged people that were, if someone bought a bottle of vodka, they were dressed as Oompa Loompas and they were hoisted onto the ceiling, tracked across the ceiling, and then they would drop these bottles of vodka. And then also there was vertically challenged people, which I'm sure is not the PC way to say it, doing lots of tribute acts. And the woman that you're talking about in this picture with me, she was hugely tall, amazingly, massively tall woman called Amazon Ashley. And in that picture you're talking about, I'm actually wearing high heels. Yeah, it was the the strangest bar and I think it was a really popular Hollywood thing for a moment and actually the people on stage at that time and the people being tracked across the ceiling with Amazon Ashley ended up on tour with Miley Cyrus and that was definitely one of the weirdest bars I have ever been to. When I injured myself I discovered a love for flying microlights. I think like being on a trapeze it's like a meditation you're there's no room for error and you can't think about anything else so whatever happens at the end of it you feel amazing and so always with fashion work which can be let's face it really boring to bring them into your life to do things that are exciting for you is great so you know why have a model in a studio when you could have her clambering around on a whole load of airplanes that you can perv on or go motorbiking in Andalusia or go riding in Aman or whatever it is. So any excuse to do exciting things. I was flying around in a microlight. Everyone else had helicopters during the Somerset floods, all the press photographers. And I was in this microlight dodging the rain. And I loved it so much. And I thought to myself, if I'm gonna if I sell this particular picture, I will teach myself. I'll pay to learn to fly. And I, well, I sold the picture, but then I never, th- I don't think I ever got paid for it. I started to learn to fly, but I've never quite finished my license because I got distracted by paramotoring. And paramotoring is where you put a massive fan on your back and you have a soft wing that you run with and you run and you run and you run with your motor going and get some lift and end up in the air. And I got distracted by that for a while, but I will go back to microlighting at some point. 
How far and high have you flown in? Oh, not very high because it's frightening. Um, it's like being a bird. It's completely wonderful. And I, I saw one fly over my house one day and I thought, that's for me. I'm doing that. And I phoned up and booked myself on a course the, the very next day. I had great plans. I thought I'll photograph loads from the sky, do loads of aerial photography and have complete freedom. I can fly to work. It didn't quite work out like that. I did photograph a few things from the sky. So what sports interest you these days? What sports do I do? I do loads of walking these days. I like a a little canoe. My little dog has just decided it's quite happy on the front of a paddleboard. Whatever sports come my way, I'll give a go. And what are you up to now? A peek at your Instagram shows you back at your farm tasting Somerset cider brandy with Abfab British actress Joanna Lumley. Oh, she's amazing. So for this pandemic, I have taken over the running of my family business. I've always done bits on the side. So I'm a distiller as well. We make cider and brandy. And Joanna Lumley came to visit and everyone fell completely in love with her. And a daily chore is tasting these days. And usually you supply Britain's most famous annual music festival, Glastonbury, sold from your bus. And is it happening this year? There sadly is no Glastonbury Festival this year, so uh, the cider bus will come out into the yard in the farm and will bring a little festival feel to us every week. And And it looks like you've been out truffle hunting instead? I did go truffle hunting. And I have to say, truffle, I love truffles, but English truffles are not quite the same as other truffles. Let's just leave it there. And how was your lockdown? Lockdown was... Interesting, challenging, like it was for everybody, but we're lucky in so far as we're farming apples and so work never stops on the farm. So actually, although we haven't seen any anyone and desperately miss people and customers, it's been non-stop. And can we come to visit your farm to taste your award-winning British cider? I'm after one of your crab apple cocktails. You certainly can. At the end of April, we will have the cider bus and I will be making cocktails all through the summer and we'll have circus artists, we'll have high wire artists, we'll have bands playing, we'll have something different happening every week, whether it's steam engines or whatever it is. Where can listeners go to find out more or to plan a trip to your farm to taste the fruits of your orchards? If you go to somersetciderbrandy.com, You can read about the whole history and come and visit. Finally, what's your dream commission trip? What next? What would it be? I think I've just had a dream commission, which is, you won't find it on my website, but my dream commission was given to me by Somerset Museums a couple of years ago. And they said, photograph Somerset, whatever you want to about Somerset. I've just moved back and it just gave me an excuse to explore my local area and I actually came to realize that you can have such incredible adventures just by having the freedom to knock on your neighbor's doors and find what's happening around you and without a camera that's really difficult so yeah we photographed Somerset and we ended up doing a small documentary that we're still working on which was life in Somerset which is carried on to find out what people are doing through the pandemic and how they're coping with Brexit so that's uh, bubbling away on the side. Thanks so much Tilly it's been enlightening. Where can we see and buy your work? 
you can see my work on my website, which is matildademperly.com. And you can buy prints from lumatrix.com. We'll put all the details on the show notes on the site. Matilda Tempoli, thank you so much for coming on Action Pack Travel. We wish you the very best of luck in your future career, be it as a fashion photographer, cider maker, distiller, pilot, trapeze artist, and whatever else may take your fancy. That's all for now. If you've enjoyed the show, please visit our website, actionpacktravel.com. Or you can subscribe on Apple, Spotify, Amazon, or any of the many podcast platforms. You can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. We'd love you to sign up for our regular emails too at peter at actionpacktravel.com. Until next week, stay safe. And I am you. You are me. It's just a crazy storm.